What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 101 of Screenspeak, the podcast that is always and forever about movies, life, and so much more. As you'd expect, it's me, Jordan Anderson. This is my podcast, my domain, and my world dedicated to unpacking why the world of movies and entertainment speaks so loudly to me, but I'm guessing also speaking loudly to you as well. Otherwise, what the hell are you even doing here? <laughs> you know, actually, I just realized in saying that I, I could deter you a little bit, right? A, a potentially a new listener, that, that could be you listening right now, um, from being here and enjoying the pod with saying, what, what the hell are you doing here? Why am I talking like that? But don't worry. Don't you worry. I am not that guy that's going to jump down your throat right from the get-go like that. I don't lose my temper like a madman. That's just not who I am. So let me go ahead, style it back. Let me ease my way more into this one, and let's just go from there. All right? Deal. So remember when I said, <laughs> remember when I said way back when, uh, which is about 10 seconds ago, that my world on this podcast is dedicated to unpacking why the world of movies and entertainment speaks so loudly to you and also to me. Well, I meant that to be a smooth segue over into the movie that I'm talking about on this latest episode of Screen Speak, which, coincidentally, is called Unpacking. So Unpacking is an independent film that I got connected with a while back when I was at the Iowa Independent Film Festival earlier this year. It was not a movie that I got to watch directly at that festival, simply due to not being able to have the time to watch every single movie that was screened there or to view all the screeners that were given to me prior to the festival. Time, as we all know, can be the enemy like that sometimes. But that being said, I did get a chance to meet two of the cast members of the film that were there. Uh, McCall Sinat, which I think I'm saying her name right. I always struggle with her last name. I don't know why. And Katie Braden. So McCall starred in the movie alongside Katie and several other actresses, and in addition to McCall starring in the movie, she also co-directed it and co-wrote it alongside director and actress Alexandra Clayton, who I would come to meet later, but not at the festival. So, anyways, I met McCall and Katie at the Iowa Independent Film Fest, and I would say that we hit things off right from the get-go, pretty much. They told me about themselves, told me a bit about their movie, and how their overall experience was going at the festival. Overall, we had a couple of nice chats, even shared breakfast at one point at the filmmaker's breakfast that they had at that thing, and kept trying to see if our paths during that time at the festival were going to cross to be able to watch their movie and have a talk about it while at the festival. In short, this did not happen. It didn't happen at the festival, but eventually happened over a virtual pod that was recorded a few weeks, maybe a month or two ago, after the festival had concluded. To tell you the truth, I'm really actually glad that it worked out the way it did because I had the time needed to watch the film without any sort of distractions and, and most importantly, give myself time to let the picture soak in, let it marinate a little bit, right? So I could really get some fleshed out and interesting thoughts in my mind on, uh, I would say pen to paper, but you know, we're in the 21st century, so it's gonna be on a computer. Um, sometimes you need that, right? Time to let a movie sit with you isn't always ideal, especially if you are one of those ones that takes the I gotta be the first to talk about it people. Uh, plenty of those on the internet, as we know, and there's no shame in that. I would do it more often if I could, but I think for this and many films that are, are worth it, worth the investment, I like best to be able to sit on them for a while and dwell on the meat and bones that they have and, and just get real about how they spoke to me. So in that spirit, let me go ahead and set up this movie for you and tell you a bit about how it spoke to me before the conversation itself here plays out. 
So Unpacking tells the story about six American women that get sold on the promise of radical transformation through the hands of an Instagram-like guru and her Indonesian assistant and get quickly slapped in the face by the reality of what radical change can actually look like. Change, turns out, is messy as fuck. I am so sorry to do this to you right off the bat. Okay. Vivica isn't coming. Uh. But this was your idea. I hate stuff like this. Okay, you weren't saying that when I was going to, so just go to the workshops and work on your superiority complex. I have hand-selected each and every one of you because I believe you to be strong and independent women, but you're hurting inside. And so, on this retreat, I invite you to stop being islands alone. Ladies, we are in Bali. You're being no. too accommodating. It's She's fine. gonna know that we're. This is less than lunch. Let me let me just get this for you. You feel so good. Can we stay all night long? Happy told me that you two are just friends. Is that true? Oh yeah, totally, totally just friends. I found her at a bar. Like drinking? I just think that sometimes you make people feel bad about themselves because you and act maybe like maybe they deserve to feel bad about Because you act like you're better than everyone. The wind you are awesome. I am beautiful. I don't need a man to get out. You don't need to be strong all the time. You know that, right? I just want to go home. I'm I'm <laughs> Well, I don't want you to worry about I am me. always going to worry about well, you. You, you are my doing that. I'm an immigration lawyer. I don't have sex with escorts. Why are you blowing this out of proportion? Let's go down the road and run away from here. We'll live free no matter what the cost. Let's get put a little bit of panache, if you will, into that synopsis reading, but that is the official synopsis of the movie, and one that I might add does a pretty good job of summarizing what you're going to get out of this movie. Tonally, I would say that the movie is a drama that has splashes of dark comedy, romance, uh, and also sprinkled in with emotional poignant moments. Point poignant? Is that how you say that? I think that's how you do it. Considering the unique circumstances of how the movie was made and came together, and factoring in that both co-directors are first-timers as far as directing goes, I would say that they both made a solid, right-out-the-gate entrance as filmmakers and creatives on this project. The movie clearly has a heart, I felt, and it possesses a certain kind of raw, realistic energy to it. Realistic in that sometimes it can get just plain awkward and sometimes even clumsy. But in a way, I think it's going for that in the process of these women going through this experience directly together. And I would also say that this movie gets in your head after a while and gets you thinking about some, uh, well, well, nuanced and complex topics, to put it lightly. So some examples of this, are, in, and this is all stuff that plays out in the conversation that we have, is talking about wellness retreats, the, the businesses out, you know, what the hell are they, seeking connective experiences as human beings, radical life transformations, what do those all look like, what's the process for that, cultural appropriation, yep, those two words that everybody loves hearing and no one ever fights about, yeah, right? So how all that spoke to me exactly is just best played out over the conversation, so you'll have to listen to the episode to find out. 
But for now, I can tell you that it spoke to me in unexpected and surprising ways. I definitely learned some unique insights after watching this one, but I think most of the stuff I learned mainly came from talking with the women on this podcast uh, and just getting the pleasure of getting to pick their brains. It was nice getting the chat with the three of them all together, which if I'm thinking about it, actually, it's, it's only happened one other time before in the history of ScreenSpeak with three people being on the podcast, including myself. Actually, you know, I take that back. There was another instance that happened at the Iowa Independent Film Festival. It may have been one of the last conversations I had there. I'll find out when I finally get around to editing that episode and getting it out to you all, the world. But anyways, uh, back to the women of unpacking. So they were great about being mindful about not talking over each other during the conversation and being very purposeful, uh, very intentionally done so about the flow of the conversation. And I can just tell you from experience that that is not something that you get with every person that comes on the podcast or let alone every conversationalist that you talk to. Uh, it is definitely appreciated. So shout out to them for being so courteous like that. But let me tell you some bullet points about each of the guests on here and then we'll go ahead and get this show slash conversation on the road. Starting with McCall. So McCall, a little background on her, she has performed and been a part of a lot of different projects. I mean, everything from radio, television, film, she's done it. She's been around a long time and been working very steadily. Most famously, and I only found this out after doing some research, I had no idea about this during the conversation. Had I had an idea of this, I definitely would have brought it up because I geeked out about it. So she is the voice, likeness, and performance capture artist for the video game character of Tracy DeSanta, which anybody that knows that character is going to recognize that and associate it with Rockstar's Grand Theft Auto V, which, if you know anything about the world of video games, it is arguably, and may very well be, I don't have the stats in front of me, the most financially successful video game in history. I mean, like, the game is still being played religiously today. I know... All the fans of that game, the fandom, is super excited for the announcement of Grand Theft Auto 6. Supposedly in the early weeks of December, we shall see. People have been waiting years for that thing. I mean, Grand Theft Auto 5 came out when I was in college still, so that tells you how long things have been. But anyways, I geeked out over that pretty bad when I found that out, so it's, it's kind of a shame that I didn't find out sooner, but I don't know, maybe I can get her back on and we can just talk about that whole experience because it would be very interesting. Um, it's just awesome. It's just awesome that she got to do that. So that's a little bit about McCall. Uh, next, moving on to Katie. So Katie lives in New York, and she is a regular in the theater scene that's out there. She has her own theater and production company that she regularly works on and is also a member of the Workshop Theater Company. So in short, Katie is definitely a theater queen. She knows everything about theater. I, I, I might be kind of blowing some smoke there saying that you know everything about theater. I just say she knows a hell of a lot more than me because she has really put the work in and continues to really champion the arts out there and work hard, work her ass off to, to get everything done there. So Katie, that's a bit about her. Now, lastly, if we move on to Alexandra. So Alexandra lives in Los Angeles and works as a filmmaker. If you know, it's just the easier way to say it, but I mean, she does directing, writing, producing. She's an actor. She has produced several shorts, web series, uh, even branded content for companies. The overall work that she's been a part of has screened in over 30 film festivals thus far, including New York's famous NYC Rooftop Film Series, which, I mean, that one actually does have some clout out in the New York area, so I'm told. I've never been, uh, but maybe one day. So, 
almost done with this introduction, but I gotta say this. I encourage each of you, after listening, take a moment and look up these artists and filmmakers. All of their information, as always with any guest I have on the podcast, is gonna be found in the description of this episode. So, description of this episode, look up their information. They got websites, they got IMDb's, they have Instagrams. Look them up, see what they got going on, and show them some support. They're all super nice and unique in the approach that they take to the craft of filmmaking in more ways than one. You'll know what I mean by that when you listen to the conversation. All right, I think that's what I got for you in this intro. Otherwise, you know what else you need to do. Hit the follow button on what you're listening to this on. Do the same for the socials. Feel free to drop a rating for this podcast too. I always forget to mention that one, but that one does help the visibility and reputation of this show. So definitely go ahead and do that. And lastly... Now you just get to do the easy part and enjoy listening to our conversation on the little indie that could unpacking. Cheers. I got all the unpacking folks with me, at least, well, maybe not all, but I have three of them right here because there's actually a lot of people that were involved with this uh but right now i'm going to say each of your names if i screw it up even though we just talked about this uh please please go ahead and correct me so we got mccall Sinat, right senate senate no 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 no, senate yep (laughs) see i i I caught i caught myself and we we got we got katie Braden. hello hello and then we also have alexandra clayton right yep that's right you guys, well, do you ever go by like the like a trio, you know, like the Holy Trinity, something like that? The three of you is this like a a thing? <laughs> I don't know. It's not often that it's the three of us, but sometimes I guess there's the, there's been a few moments where it's just the three of us. But yeah, I kind of feel like I'm stealing Joseph's spot, McCall's husband, who is the co-writer. I don't know. I feel a little special right now. <laughs> well, it is. Well, Katie is our Iowa. Um, star so you know it's, it's okay is here yeah I, so i suppose i should ask just the three of you right now because you mentioned that katie's the iowa centric star here but where are all three of you from respectively well i grew up in iowa and i have lived in new york for the past 21 years though so i mm. consider myself a new yorker at this point but i'll always be an iowa girl at heart that makes sense yeah i grew up in norfolk virginia coastal Virginia. Uh, but I've lived in New York or LA for like my whole adult life. Sweet, sweet. Um, and I grew up mostly in the Bay Area in California. And now I live in Los Angeles. Okay, very, very cool. So we got like, you know, East and West, East and West Coast representation with a little bit of Midwest flair thrown in there too. So I like that. <laughs> Um, okay, so I just I really just want to get into all the questions that I had about this movie and just get into a discussion on it. So unpacking, take me back to the beginning of this. I'm sure this is the age old question with this, but what was the inception of of this project and kind of getting it started and everything like that? I think I mean, I guess it started from McCall and I just meeting each other. We were in a female director collaborative in New York City. Um that was really lovely that we met a lot of community through. And I think they're just sort of got to know each other, had an affinity for each other. McCall was by coastal at that time. And I was thinking of visiting LA. So I visited her when I came out here and sort of talked to her about what it'd be like to live here. And I think that sort of solidified our friendship. And um, 
it wasn't like too long after I moved that we were like, we want to work on a project together. Let's <laughs> let's work on a project together. Um, and then I'll let McCall take the, the inception of like what that project was. The next yeah. step, we'll go in stages. <laughs> yeah, so we both, Alexander and I both were trying to get larger budget projects off the ground and really trying to like just hitting walls with the finances is so often happens with independent films. And um, I was working as a flight attendant at the time, so I could fly for free. Oh, and wow. My husband also had flying privileges. And so we went to Bali um, the year before we, sh we shot this. Uh, we went to visit, we, the, we went to Indonesia to visit his cousin who was doing the Peace Corp there in mainland Indonesia and in Java. And while we were there, we were so close to Bali. I was like, we have to go to Bali. So we went to Bali <laughs> for like three days and I just really fell in love with it. And I came back and I, I said to Joseph, my husband, who's our third writer, uh, I, I think we should make a movie here. And he was like, all right. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I can have big ideas that I guess I follow through on, but it's still like, a, you know, it's a loaded thing to just say. Um, but I left this like long message for Alexandra kind of pitching her this idea and proposing that we could write a group of friends and colleagues and propose a working vacation um, to make a movie. And then that's how we could, kind of initially finance production. And Katie and I went, Katie and I have known each other, like, I won't say how many years because, you know, why? Um, but a long time, she's one of my oldest Her friends. Her whole adult life. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's like my oldest, probably my oldest New York friend. Um, You're one of like the first five people I met in New York, so. Yeah, yeah. And so Katie and I, um, we went to drama school together. So we were in a conservatory together that was like a 40 hour a week, nine month uh classical theater training program wow and yeah there was only eight of us so we had six teachers so it was pretty intensive and um everyone was very different and i mean i'm close to katie and also one other person uh our friend kelly from that but like yeah she's like you know she and i both had like i think an immediate affinity for each other's work ethic and talent and can do happy attitude <laughs> <laughs> but I'll let Katie uh, tell more. <laughs> so I got this email from McCall that I knew and someone named Alexandra that I didn't that said, do you want to go on an adventure? And I'm the kind of person that says, yes, if it sounds like a good potential story value later, then I will give it a go. So I signed on um, to participate. And in this case, I really was interested in doing some acting, but also all of us had to take on different components in production as well to collaborate mm -hmm. in the collective. So I think there were 13 of us that responded to this email and said, I'm, I'm game to go to Bali and finance my own way there and be on the production team. So I became the line producer and help, help see this project move forward. Was there anybody that you had initially invited to, you know, in this Bali invitation that like they didn't come and you like you, you really wish they did after the whole thing? Or did it all kind of work out with the people that were intended to be there? Uh, I think there were definitely people that well, I mean, some very dramatic things happen, like our assistant mm -hmm. director like made it to Bali, but then got dengue fever from like having stopped well, in Thailand. And then what what kind of what, what kind of fever? What, what fever is that? They call it the bone breaker 
<laughs> like oh, bone Jesus. crusher. It's like a very debilitating. I mean, her white it's blood. It's mosquito born. Gives you really high fever. Damn. It was, she, she almost died. It was really dramatic. So there, yes, there were people that we definitely would have loved to have been there. I mean, there were. Mm -hmm. there were and her husband, we have to, her husband was our, uh, a, was supposed to be our AC and he just stayed in the hospital with her the whole time. So we lost oh, wow. both of those roles before yeah. the production even began. Um, She's also, totally recovered. They're thriving. Yeah. You're going to have a baby. <laughs> that, that, that's great. <laughs> and we kept them as collective members. So, you know, because we just felt like they made agreement was kind of like, if you get yourself to Bali, you are a member of this collective mm -hmm. and they got themselves to Bali. So, you know, it's not their fault that this horrible thing happened to them. Uh, so I would have, yeah, it would have been lovely to have them because we definitely sure. You know, and there were also like <clears throat> Natalie who played Vivica. She was supposed to come, so she had a larger role in the film, but she had a baby shortly before um, production started. And, you know, the reality of like what she thought would be her reality versus like actual mothering, she decided it was too much for her to go. And so we wrote, we rewrote re her character, like to have it, you know, All that on she phone. like, yeah. So that oh, would have okay. been. The Vivica Ina relationship, like Ina's journey changed a lot because she was mm -hmm. like ghosted by her lover. And it would have been a very different situation if she had, you know, if, if Natalie had gone. Um, Katie's character, K Katie's Grace was also supposed to go. So there was like this whole earlier draft where like Grace like does drugs at the I just want to take a pause to say that <laughs> for people like not as familiar with the names, the Vivica is who you see on in all the phone conversations and video calls. Mm. And that Grace is Alice's child who she references many times. Right. But yeah, so there were like different uh, versions of the script because like as we were like, you know, going towards production, like there were major shifts in people coming or going. And so yeah. It was, yeah, we were constantly pivoting. <laughs> well, I feel like you you have to, given the budget that you no doubt have to work with on it, but then mostly just the logistical challenges of being in such a remote place from, you know, the United States and whatnot. Um, I, I, I think, you know, regardless of a movie scale or production, it, it's really a miracle anytime a movie actually does get made and kind of comes to fruition and sees the light of day in an audience because of all the schedules and timing and all the stuff that has to, you know, be in place. And, you know, a lot of the time you can't plan for everything that happens with it. Uh, so I would just imagine that to be very, I mean, very unique to this experience that you're talking about because, because Bali is. I mean, I don't know anything about Bali. I'll ask questions about that later. Yeah, you're right. It is a miracle. And I feel like I never, the people always say that, but having done this, I definitely think it's a miracle. Did, <laughs> did I see right too, in the research I was doing for this, that you all shot this in 13 days? Yep. Yes. Wow. That's, I mean, I just say wow on that because like it's impressive because there's a lot of really good camera work that's in the movie. Uh, you clearly do a lot of things that are, you know, quite literally shot on location. Um, I don't know how often the locals are aware that there's cameras there or whatnot or <laughs> uh, some of that. Yeah, they're all aware. They're okay. Yeah. They all sign releases. <laughs> okay. I guess actually, yeah, that makes sense from a legal perspective. Do, do a lot of movies get shot in Bali? I don't think so. Yeah, because I mean, I'm trying to think of any that I'm super familiar with that have, and there's not really that come to mind other than unpacking. So there you go. Pray love. 
Oh, Eat, Pray, Love. Yeah, that's the Julia Roberts. Uh, Javier Bardem's in that one, too, I think, right? Yep. I heard that one's not very good. Not, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen it, but I... <laughs> and there was also another Julia Roberts one with her and George Clooney, and they're like parents of a, someone getting married, and it was supposed to yes. take place in Wally, but I think they shot it somewhere else. So it wasn't like tickets really to paradise or something like that. I, I, yes. I'm gonna be off on that. Uh, yeah, no, that's I don't know it. why I'm familiar with rom com movies that I either haven't <laughs> seen or don't have the greatest yeah. perception, but <laughs> it's okay. So I want to talk about the retreats side of this thing. So, you know, specifically like the wellness retreats, the wellness tourism aspect to the movie. Um, I feel like I've seen wellness retreats be depicted in other movies, not really with like an all-female cast and in the context of this movie, but I'm just curious what you all know about wellness retreats from either like your own personal experience or did the, you know, you just put that in here as part of the story and research that. So I think and we, we can probably all add to this a little bit, but I've never been on a retreat like that, but I've been interested in so many aspects that come into this retreat so i've certainly taken a lot of like afternoon or one day workshops around yoga or meditation or female empowerment or mm -hmm. breath work or you know um and then i have lived in new york and now los angeles which is like one of the wellness capitals i feel and it's just sort of a ubiquitous part of so many conversations and so many people's lifestyles that I certainly do know people personally that have gone on these retreats and that actually lead these retreats. Okay. So we did get some very like firsthand dialogue and conversations and we all, we did a lot of research too. We went down a lot of Instagram rabbit holes and a bunch of <laughs> like websites and brochures to sort of take a survey of all the different ways these are structured. Um, and make yeah. it around. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam who plays um, Carrie Hart, the, the retreat leader in the film, she is, in addition to being an actor, she is also a wellness. Like, oh, ah, okay. She actually leads retreats like this in Bali. Uh, and Bloom and other places. So she, yeah. The, the closest I would say I've been to experiencing something as in particular would be like the mask workshop that we did and that's as a component of theater mccall mm -hmm. and i actually had a teacher who did balinese mask work with us as part of our our classes and so it was about like just experiencing the different emotions and getting these emotions into our bodies and so that was something that just in in the past i had worked with yeah, and he actually lives in Bali, and we reached out to him surrounding this, but we couldn't afford him. He was like too expensive. <laughs> he's like, yeah, he has, he has like, um, he he's like a leading Balinese mask, Commedia dell'arte director. I don't know exactly like what his title is, but he 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 does he leads workshops all over the world and in a lot of different theater schools. I'm just curious, like, how do people find out about these workshops? Is it just like purely word of mouth? Do they just happen to take interest in this stuff on, you know, kind of to Alexandra's point, like on like a daily basis? And then they're like, oh, then there's like this really big, long one that's like days long in an exotic place. I mean, ours was definitely an amalgam of, you know, kind of we also wanted to add some like appropriative elements to kind of, you know, have a bit of controversy within the film. Um, yes. And also address the fact that 
that does happen in retreats. Uh, so I've never had a, like, I've never done a mask workshop like the one that we, we definitely created that for the film. We, we wrote that mm -hmm. for, specifically for the film, but it was drawing from experience that Katie and I had in drama school. And also like Alexandra was saying, these various, you know, one day sort of like ideas of what this might look like. And I will say too, I think if you, I mean, I've sort of already said it, but if you seek out sort of any of the components you see in this, you'll find flyers, emails, advertisements, mm -hmm. you know, it will start, there will be retreats that like tie into almost any sort of wellness practice that will inevitably be advertised to you if you're, if you just have a toe in that world, like yeah. They will find you. The opportunities will find you. It's, and if it's you're looking for them, there's stuff, yeah. tons to choose from. Mm. And we looked at a lot of Instagram sort of led retreats, like in researching this, you know. That's wild. So Instagram led retreats. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, not like, but with Instagram guru, you know, people that yeah. like make a name for themselves on Instagram and have sure. a following. And, you know, there's a lot of people like that, like Carrie Hart, you know, that was kind mm -hmm. of inspired by like, real people and i'm also curious too just on the subject of them i mean these things don't seem like they're you know a, i don't know how do i say this uh well it seems like a rich people thing to be honest like it seems like you got to probably have like a decent chunk of change to be able to participate in one of these things um i i feel like the movie also was making um some commentary about like you said like how many indigenous people really get to actually take part in this stuff versus like somebody that's you know, of a completely different culture and background. They're just like, oh, this looks trendy. So I'm going to go give it a try. Um, I'm just curious what you all think about that. Or maybe I'm totally reaching on that one. I don't think you're reaching. I would say that um, it definitely can be a rich person thing. I think with ours, it was more of like an upper middle class type of thing. Yeah. Not, you know, it was working women that could afford to do this for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They'll have it, like money to go on a big international vacation. And it's, yes. I mean, it's, it's maybe it might be their one vacation of the year. It might not be like they're just always jet setting, you know, like all the women in our film work, except for maybe Jackie doesn't have a job, but she's like coming off of a divorce and maybe has some alimony or something. But, you know, most of the, I don't, you know, if we can imagine her reality. Um, but I do think that it's certainly a privileged thing. For sure. There's a mm -hmm. certain privilege attached to it. Yeah, because I just, I mean, I, I'm sure like, you know, like you get enough friends, you plan that ahead of time, you, you can save money for it. I mean, like, there's no doubt people do that kind of stuff all the time and you don't have to be a millionaire. But it does seem like it would be something that you would have to certainly have resources at your disposal to be able to actually take full advantage of doing it in a setting like that. And I, yeah, and it's, yeah. I mean, even part of the reason that we chose, like we wrote this story based on the actors that signed on. And we mm. wrote a very diverse group of actors, like, and, you know, and, but the people that all signed on were white women. And so we looked at that and thought, what's relevant about this? Like, what story is this? And we're like, oh, it's, it's a wellness retreat. <laughs> Cause that's so often the demographic and for better or worse, that's like very much the reality of the demographic, you know, so often, not that there aren't outliers or, you know, mm -hmm where that's not true but you know there there is truth to that as well and there's like in what you're saying too like you 
a lot of the things they're doing on this retreat, right? They don't need to be in Bali to do. They're largely staying in one location and talking about themselves. Like you can do that in Los Angeles mm. just as well. So yeah. I think that's yeah. a little bit of the like underlying point we were trying to make too, is like, it, it. this is definitely a privileged thing and people really seek it out and they go to great lengths to go somewhere like really beautiful and far mm -hmm. away. And I don't know what, what, what how do we feel about that is that enhancing the experience is that necessary is that positive are they getting exposed are they taking advantage are they not um yeah i think we sort of wanted to like raise some questions with that how do you feel about that <laughs> what does that tourism do it's it's a huge you know it's like a i don't know multi-billion dollar industry the wellness industry is it really now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just not something I'm super familiar with myself. Um, I'm trying to think if I have known anybody that's done something like that. But I like the point that you said, Alexandra, about, you know, really the stuff they're doing, aside from it being in a beautiful location like Bali, why couldn't somebody just, you know, go down the street to like some nice, you know, rec center or something or wherever it's set up at and and do something like this with a trained person that knows the stuff? I didn't even actually think about that until until you you know just talked about it right now. But that is interesting. I would have I would have to imagine for like myself and probably most people, some people see it as like you know, you have to really travel to something that's super foreign to like have you be quite literally removed from your day to day reality to allow yourself an experience like that would be my guess. But I am by no means probably the demographic for people that go on these things. <laughs> that's an interesting I think point. Oh, sorry. Oh, just that because there was a working title. Can I share this? Um, that the the title was "There You Are," which and then we made our the name of our company "Wherever You Go Productions," and so that kind of ties into the idea of you know wherever you go, there you are. And these women had to go to this other place to get some new experiences and. Is it pretty is it pretty typical for these things too that they are like women only? Do they mix genders or like is is you know, does it just depend on the retreat? I think certainly there are mixed gender sometimes, but just like it's so often white women, it's so often women. Right. <laughs> you know, it's it's very often a bunch of women. I was and talking I will say like that's Sorry, we've been to a retreat and he um, was the only, was the only man. It was like, he's like, oh yes, it was me and 14 women. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. What, what a problem for him to have. <laughs> I'd say like, it speaks to these retreats are filling this sort of cultural void in our society now where like, we don't have these places to meet and join and talk about what's holding us back and what our value sets are and, you know, find hmm. this community. We've really we all just watched this great documentary on this called Join or Die. <laughs> what is it um, called? Join or Die, about sort okay. of the downfall of social capital in America and meeting places. And I think part of why these retreats attract women more is it's much more like tying into toxic masculinity. It's much mm. more culturally accepted in America for women to emotionally and like spiritually better and deepen themselves without judgment from their female peers that's very interesting because something that you made me think about when you were saying that is talking about just the 
you know, how we don't really have a lot of places in society to go through experiences like the ones that are depicted in this film. Now, I, I would say for like my own self, if I think about it, like any place where you're going to like talk about feelings and kind of find yourself or whatnot, however you want to call that, um, you know, maybe through religion, if that's a person's thing. But, you know, that's super certainly subjective in its practice and what you're actually allowed to really do with that. Um, maybe some good friends or family, like a therapist, a counselor, but I can't, yeah, I can't, I can't really think of that. So yeah, that that's, that's kind of sad <laughs> when, when you yeah. say it like that. Cause I'm like, damn, like, it, yeah, that's, that's rough. It is. I mean, if you look at like our parents' generation, so many more of them were like going to church or synagogue or a mosque, you know, there was like community built around religion. And I think like our generation, that's really, I mean, you know, it, it happens, but it's not the, um, the majority anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah. Damn. I have a question. I got another question. <laughs> I got another. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Just damn. It's just. <laughs> yeah. Cause it makes it consumeristic. It may like you, then you have to pay to have this happen. Like that's mm. the society we've moved into. I think you do find it though in this, like you find it through, um, 12 step programs and like there are I was like, gonna I was gonna mention that like an Alcoholics Anonymous type deal. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot we actually built um a lot of like the ideas behind like certain like 12 step programs mm -hmm. are filtered into the writing of this, you know, because they are it's like the spirituality without um the religion, you know? Yeah. Like the god of your understanding instead of like this is, you know, the dogma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I think it is a little bit sad though. I'll stay I'll stay on this a little bit more because you're all you're all bringing up interesting points about this. But I don't know. On some level, I think it's kind of sad that you basically have to, you know, have a, a drug or a substance abuse problem, or you have to be like deeply spiritually into something, you know, whether it be you know Christianity or any of the other faiths out there. But it's like, why couldn't you just? have a support group of people that are trying to figure out their lives and, and just find their identities and live their best lives and things like that. Like what, is, what would be so crazy about that? I'm it's, certain like there's certain nonprofit organizations that maybe try to have like an aspect of that, but probably not solely built on that. Cause like to Alexandra's point, like where's the money come in? We're in a capitalistic society. So. Well, and yeah, to the capitalistic really. society part, people just don't have, they they're busy working to make yeah. a to survive they don't have the extra time in order to put towards personal development or even self-care yeah um, legitimate self-care not just you know a fuzzy robe and a cup of tea but like really your mental health the, the climate that i see around at least my own setting right now with mental health is i feel like people are willing to they're certainly willing to talk about it like i feel like like in a lot of respects the conversation is more normalized in my circles at least but to say that there's really actionable things that are supported by the community for you to do to better that, I don't know. I mean, maybe, like I said, therapy or counseling, but I don't think some people would be maybe receptive or understanding if you're like, hey, I want to go on a retreat with a group of strangers and go through something profound so that I can hopefully, you know, unpack some demons or whatever else they have in their in their baggage. Yeah. Speaking of unpacking stuff with 
strangers and things like that. I definitely was thinking about this because I've gone on some conferences in my day job and I've had to spend the night and whatnot with strangers or, you know, we've all probably been to college at some point. You, you do this, but in the context of this, when you're going on a retreat, I feel like there's obviously like this, uh, this predisposition or an expectation that you're probably supposed to go through something very emotionally vulnerable together as a group. Right. And you're doing it with strangers. And I don't know in your opinions, if that makes it easier to the fact that you don't really know these people personally. So that gives you like more permission to kind of, you know, let the emotions fly or would it actually be more difficult for people to have to do that with strangers? know if I know the answer to that. I think I, it's, I think I'm not the best person to have a perspective on that because like someone that I, I grew up acting from like a young age. So I think I was always sort of like thinking about emotion and thinking about like how emotion moves through me and being comfortable, like crying or, you know, like even, and I've certainly had like cathartic experiences in like theater classes or, um, I feel like it's something that I've really gone towards, but I don't think that's the norm. I don't think most, like I often will find myself in a situation where like someone will cry, like I'm a terrible small talker. And so I have like, <laughs> I'll have intimate conversations with strangers and they will like cry. This happens to me a lot. Like I will be mm -hmm. in a situation where like someone's crying and like, I just met them and then I'll get a little teary and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I made you cry. And I'm like, it's okay. I'm a professional crier. Like I'm comfortable. <laughs> like, this is a comfortable space for me, but I don't think that most people are like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would say probably not. Um, you know, for better or worse, you could argue on that, that a lot of it boils down to people's personality types, introverts, extroverts, um, a lot of your background. Also, I think, you know, from a familial standpoint, from your family, some families, of course, have the, we want you to express yourself and feel your feelings. Whereas the others where it's like, no, you bury that stuff and don't figure it out until it's like way too late. And now it's a big mess. Right. Yep. Cause I don't know. I don't think I've ever gone through something like that with a bunch of strangers like that, but I have definitely, I can say from travel shared intimate conversations certainly with people that I don't know or I won't really know for very long and sometimes there is something really really sweet about that I think that you can share some really special time with someone and you might never even see them again in some cases but um I don't know it's hard to put that one into words for the value of that yeah I think it really like everyone's gonna have a different proclivity to that just based on how introverted or extroverted or what kind of family they grew up in but mm -hmm. I can certainly see it being easier for many people to open up to strangers because there's not preconceived ideas of who you are and how That's you behave. True. So if you have something holding you back and they're like, wait, what? You what? Huh? But if they don't yeah. actually know anything about you, it's much for much easier probably to come forward and be like, I actually have this giant hang up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like an, against an idea already. Yeah, it's an impartial third party that can give you an unbiased viewpoint towards yourself. And they're probably not going to offend you deeply because they don't have that personal tie in with you to really, you know, get their hooks into your feelings like the people that know you really well can do that. <laughs> and you might not offend them as much because they won't be like, how could you have held this back for so long? Or like, how didn't they know this about you? <laughs> yep. I also was thinking, too, when I was watching this with the just the retreat aspect and kind of this, you know, unpacking of the emotional baggage. And I feel like there was this 
desire for a lot of the people there, maybe not all the women there, uh, to go through some sort of a radical transformation. Like, it's not enough to just, like, unearth the stuff, but they want to come back from it a changed person. Am, am I right on that? Or Totally. Yeah. I mean, w- one of our, like, earlier taglines was, like, how do you reset your soul in a week? Yeah. <laughs> How do you do it? Is, it, is this it? <laughs> and funny, but you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's uh it's certainly something that I wish, you know, more people would maybe be open minded to because I, I think it's possible. I mean, it might not happen overnight. Like you might come back supercharged from an experience like that. And, you know, eventually the feeling of it, the euphoric feeling will fade away and you kind of get back into a routine of sorts. Um but I definitely think if you can if you can catch that spark from an experience like that and channel it into your life, it doesn't take much for that to, you know, sort of transcend over into the rest of your life and really start to change other aspects that you didn't realize needed changing from this other thing about yourself changing. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. I think that's like definitely something we were going for is like, yeah, it's not possible to actually have this massive transformation in a week. But yeah. it is possible to like grab a seed or like put a yes. crack in something that can then grow when you go back to your life. And that can ultimately lead to a much larger transformation. But the idea that that could happen in a week is like, of course not. Like, no. Humans are complex, but but you I really think... can get the exactly the spark or the energy or the, you know, mm-hmm. the thing to initiate. Uh, I'm pretty big when it comes to like feeling the energy of something, especially like in a room or, you know, with with your own emotions for sure. Uh, But I also understand that things take work to get there. There's there's practice and discipline that you have to instill in yourself, even if you go through something, you're like, ah, now this thing that wasn't clicking before is clicking just because it's clicking doesn't mean it's going to stay clicked. Like you have to keep it in check and you have to keep yourself measured and keep yourself disciplined at it to work towards that. Um, I think sometimes personally, there's a lot of people, I, I, I kind of hate generalizations, but I'll throw out one for this. Um, I think a lot of people live in a, we live in a society now where there's a lot of instant gratification expectations where it's just like, ah, oh, I should do this and it should just do that. And I don't have to do any really extra work to, to get past that. Um, I would maybe hope that people would go through something like this and understand that, well, no, you know, just because I saw it on Instagram and I went out and did it, I actually have to do some follow through work to make the stuff stick. Now, far as the transformation side of things go, I feel like there's a couple of different ways you could classify that. Um, there's spiritual transformations for sure. Some people are in spiritual crisis all the time, and they certainly have a hard time talking about that. You have your physical ones. I just wasn't sure if there's any of those that you find more difficult than others to go through. Us personally, like in our own lives. Sure. Sure. Spiritual versus physical transfer. I mean, I can speak to your experience, Michael. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I would just say, I mean, because knowing you, you're such an open person. And what, like, I won't I'll allow you to share specifics, but during this movie, during right before we made it. And then like in the year after we made it, you had a lot of physical health challenges and it was the first time in your life you had ever had that. And it was, it was much more difficult for you than something emotional, which you were so much more experienced in. You were like suddenly challenged by your body as the limiting factor. And I think 
like that led to a whole nother kind of growth in you. You can speak to it yourself now. <laughs> but I, um, we, we had a lot of discussions about that at the time. Yeah. Like if, you're, if you haven't had, you know, when you first wrestle with physical issues, like there is something, it's just a whole nother boat. They're like, I don't know if you can really compare the boats. They're mm -hmm. Alexandra is right. Um, so, so Charlotte, I don't want to, mm, I don't, I don't, well, I don't know if anyone's listening to this podcast, like whoever's listening to this, I hope that they've seen the movie, but I hope it's also not too much of a spoiler. I think I have to say this. It's, it's just, it's going to be a spoiler. Spoiler alert. Skip the hey, next I was going to say, you can say it. I don't have to. <laughs> if you don't want to know what happens to Charlotte. Um, so, uh, the reason that Charlotte has cancer in the film is because I was diagnosed with cancer three weeks before we went to shoot the film. And that felt like such an elephant in the room for me on a personal level to be dealing with as a director, mm -hmm. actor, writer, producer on the project that I didn't want to, and I'm not like, I have no poker face. I'm, I don't have a mask. Like I'm very, like Alexandra said, like mm -hmm. is what you get. And like, I just <laughs> don't, I'm very bad at like hiding things, hiding how I feel. It's impossible. Alexandra won't even like she'll she won't go to a bad movie with me because I'll just like stare at her and be like we go to a movie that like so I don't know like a colleague and like unless it, if, if it's bad I'll just like look at her and be she'll be like stop looking at me like <laughs> like they're in the room they can read your face <laughs> ability to just like quietly um you know pretend everything's okay when it's not um so yeah we I so I came to uh, to. Uh, Alexandra and Joseph and I said I think we need to add this to the film because I don't want to hide this and I want to be able to like talk about it on set and I want to be like I want it to be part of her journey um, in addition to the fact that she's pregnant and going through all these other things this is yeah. we're, let's add this <laughs> and it in a way feels absurd but it also I think it works beautifully in the film and um, so yeah I did go through that and I was I had been very lucky up to that point to have like a really a body that worked for me. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I am one of those people that's like always, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a doer and I'm always like in motion. And I like, my body was like, it was like, I really think it was like the only way I was, I was working too hard physically. And my body was like, no, we're going to put a stop on that. And like, it literally shut me down. Right. And so, yeah, the last few years have been a real, growth and also empathy building because it's, you know, it's, it's let me learn about like, I mean, I can remember after the surgery, like I had had two surgeries now for cancer. I'm, I'm fine now. I'm like two years cancer free, but, um, I had, I went into surgery three days after we got back from shooting. I mean, a lot of people were still in Bali when I like on, you know, cause they like extended the trip to like vacation, but like I literally, mm -hmm and went right into surgery and it was a pretty, uh, it was a, a major surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the, my thymus was removed, which is your, it's a gland that sits like kind of between your lungs and your heart. So like mm -hmm. um, I had an ear, nose and throat doctor that performed it. There was a heart surgeon in the room and then also like a um, uh, plastic surgeon. So I didn't have, you know, <laughs> huge, yes, yeah, it was very nice. It was like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, and, and then the second one was just a heart surgeon. So like it was mm -hmm. actually growth was removed from my heart. So, um, I can remember like walking across the street 
after go like having like maybe a week or two after surgery, like we lived across the street, we lived in California at the time I was bi-coastal and we lived across the street from this, this dog beach and I was walking across the street with my dog and the dog, like Jasper was just like pulling on me and he wanted to go so much faster than I could go. And I remember like this car, it was waiting for me to cross. And I swear it took me like 15 minutes to cross this, you know, this street, this little street. And I was just like, I, it, in a flash thought about like all the times I had been impatient with like someone like, you know, maybe an older person crossing the street or like, just, it just gave me so much empathy for people that like have, you know, that just don't move quickly. Cause I am a very quick person and I didn't have a lot of empathy for that. Like, I just was like, why are you so slow? You know, like, and then I right. was really put in my tracks. And um, so, yeah, I think that that was, um, I mean, ultimately going through that, I, I'm one of those people that really believes that we don't get to, um, decide what happens to us, but we do get to decide how we respond to it. And so I choose to see what I went through as a gift because mm -hmm. what I went through and I want to learn from what I go through because otherwise that just feels like a waste to me to not like grow and learn and from whatever happens, you know? Yeah. So it was a, ultimately a very growth filled great experience going through cancer, even though I wouldn't wish for it. You know, I wouldn't say like, oh, yeah. I would definitely like that to happen again. Um, but I do think that I did from the physical, just to take a full circle, I guess, like from mm -hmm. that physical thing that happened to me, I did experience a lot of spiritual growth. I mean, that's, I mean, one that's obviously very powerful to have to go through that and i mean like one you did a good job of articulating that so i mean kudos because yeah. not everybody i think some people actually take for granted that there's others that are able to um really speak to their experience well uh, and then there's others that have a very hard time actually vocalizing it let alone just sharing it with an audience so i i certainly appreciate that um Something that makes me think about though too is you're you're absolutely right. When you go through physical stuff, I mean, you might be very much in tune with your own emotions for sure, and you're you know very you know aware of what you're expressing and putting on your face. But if you have these things in your body that you're so accustomed to having full flexibility and range to that are suddenly you know stripped away like that, you know, there's I don't I don't know what sort of psychological prep you can kind of have for a situation like that. Um, you know, it can it can break you or destroy people in certain cases and obviously lead to tremendous strife and family uh, drama and whatnot, because any time a family member is ill, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to even have a family, it affects everybody on that. So um, I'm happy to hear you're better. <laughs> so that is very, very good. Um, and honestly, too, you know, I you know, not that you're looking for my advice, but I would certainly not be shy about sharing your experience with people if you know other people that go through that, because it's the cliche thing. People feel like they're alone in situations like that. And and you're not. There's there's a lot of people that are going through stuff and it can always also be very worse than what you even had to. It can always be worse. Yeah, exactly. And I was very lucky there. Like I, there were so many good things about the type of cancer I got. Like it was stage one, like it was, you know, it was extreme in some ways, but like, they mm -hmm. caught it early. like it was, you know, there, I didn't have to go to chemo. Like there were so many gifts. So yeah, but you're absolutely right. It's, um, it is, 
it, it is nice to have that community and like, and it has been something that I'm able to connect with people that have, you know, had similar experiences. I think that's a beautiful thing. Cause I mean, sadly, again, unless you go through it yourself, you're probably not likely to partake in a community of people that are going through that unless you yourself are, are handling it your, uh, and whatnot. But, um, no, I mean, I, I think that's good that you're able to share it and, and honestly connect it to the film. Cause obviously, uh, your character being pregnant, cancer, the whole thing, uh, yeah. that's, that's obviously, that's obviously a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, something, I, something else that I was thinking about the, just the overall process of going of these women going through the retreat, right. Is there's sort of this moment, I think where I don't know if it's like a individual moment or a gradual process where they're either going to buy into this, like they're going to give in to this transformative process with the mask and all the booga booga stuff, or they're going to be like, nah, this is just like gibberish nonsense stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was a good, I mean, there's one character in particular that se certainly seems to be the skeptic. That's just like, ah, like, I don't, I don't really know about this stuff. My question for you all is, you know, do you think that it should be a natural, like super easy thing to just like give yourself over to a process like that? Or is it healthy to have some reservations about this whole thing and, you know, kind of be a little trepidatious till it starts to feel okay, or maybe just don't do it at all. Um, I think it's healthy to be trepidatious because when you're not, you could easily end up in a cult. You know, and there are a shocking amount of sort of culty programs around and the wellness world can definitely tip into that sort of world where it's really like mm -hmm. buy in and subscribe to this methodology as right. the way to grow, as the way to, you know, so in general, yeah. as a person, this is, that's for sure a personal opinion, but I'm all for like having a skeptical lens on, on mm -hmm. most things. Don't be a sheep. I would also say just from my own personal standpoint, I would be more inclined to agree with you uh, because just for my own sake, I, I kind of remind myself that sometimes uh, my, my wife always tells me that I have, I need to have like 10 different lifetimes to, you know, get all the knowledge that I want to get about things. Now, tying that over to this, I try to remind myself sometimes, you know, there's so much information out there and my brain is not capable of, of having it all in there. So how could I possibly know, you know, the validity of every single thing, you know, and all the nuance and complexity of it that's out there? Like, no, like, so I, I think, yes, it is only natural to, uh, to do that because sadly, I think there's a lot of people that they don't either possess a strong emotional intelligent range to to be able to kind of pick up red flags if there are ever any. And then those are the people that get manipulated into doing things, actions, choices with their lives that they eventually come to regret. And, and it's, it's just very sad. And I think for these characters, I mean, they came in with, with intelligence, but with like hope that this would work. So I think they were open-minded yeah. and they they wanted the experience to work. So they were more inclined to trust and believe that this would do something for them. Mm -hmm. And then in the case of, of our skeptic, um, she ended up getting something out of this, but it, yeah. it took a while longer and it, and it took like more struggles with the actual process. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess is that a spoiler alert that I that she got to be <laughs> um, no, um, exactly. But I think 
you know, that both you can come at it in both ways and that being hopeful doesn't necessarily make you a sheep either. If, mm-hmm. if you're at least just aware that, that you have to make some decisions along the way. Yeah. And I think there's a, a good range within the characters of the film where like, like it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Alice and Ruby are a little more on the like buying into this, like, you know, and then I think maybe like Jackie and Charlotte are more in the middle of like, "Mm, I don't know, like, but maybe. And then Ina is more on the other end of like, you know, doesn't even really want to be there and Mm -hmm. eventually has this, you know, cathartic experience. What I thought was interesting about her cathartic experience, no spoilers on, on the experience itself, but I definitely felt like it was certainly not something that she was going in looking for, really. You know, yeah. it kind of it kind of stemmed as as a result of going through the experience. And certainly, I mean, you could argue it happened as a result of the program, but I f- sort of feel like just her being there and kind of going through the emotional roller coaster of trying to figure out, you know, is this legit? Is this not legit? It it led to the stuff whether she intended it to or not. Um, so I think there's something to be said about that. Well, yeah. And I think it also happened because she pushed the envelope so much that she kind of hurt someone in the process and like the whole thing got upended and Mm -hmm. then she had to kind of look at like, I mean, her messaging was correct in a lot of, but it's just the methodology in which she was sending those messages was, you know, it was too much. It was like the whole, the whole aggressive progressive thing. Like so much of what her way of thinking is, you know, she's speaking truth to power, like more than anyone else in the film, but it's just her methodology is like, no one's listening when you're just shaming you, you know, like, no, I don't want to be like, I'm just not going to shame is not a vehicle for, for change. You know, it's not the way to get there. And so I think that's one of the messages we have in the film. And I think that she, like is able to see really like the consequences of her actions, I think. And, and maybe, and watching also other people's struggles, there's like all these fights that happen, you know, in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like this bubbling. And then she also has like, you know, her own cathartic experience with her, um, her lover, you know, with it, where like the, mm-hmm. she's able to break open and have a personal experience in the midst of that too. So I think for her, it's like a lot of different, things that happen that lead to that, which, I mean, I think it is for all of them. You know, it's not one thing, like it's a big amount of things. They're all kind of react, like they're all getting something from each other's struggles and watching each other struggle as well. That's very astute. I don't use that word often. It's an astute observation. (laughs) Thank well, thought a lot about this movie. <laughs> I mean, you're you're one. I mean, so I know you directed this, but you're a co-director, right? Because well, I co-directed it. That's right. So you guys both shared each other's brains during the the process of making this. So. And I do. I think Katie's point of like hope was something we really included. Because whereas, like, I'm I'm mm-hmm. I I. I am so much more of a natural skeptic, but I still like totally challenge myself to step outside of my comfort zone and stretch myself spiritually. And like that can often be when we do experience the most growth, the most growth. And I think that is like the means, the methodology, what's the end result. And like we sort of show, yeah, everyone has to sort of find their own way to it. But ultimately, like being vulnerable in community is powerful. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. 
want to tell nihilistic stories because like the world is burning and drowning and it's a mess and you know it is it can feel hopeless but if we yeah. give over that then we're really effed so we have to like press against you know the hard and look for the hope in order to somehow yeah transcend you know there's a whole separate conversation we could have on what you just said with uh, <laughs> the the world essentially being a shitstorm that's on fire and all the all the bad stuff that's happening in it. Um, my only small point that I'll pepper in on that is I I I definitely sound like the old man yelling at the clouds when I say this because I've said it before in different contexts. Uh, social media can can have a negative effect on a lot of this stuff. Um, you know, it's not that different from like the old days of cable broadcast television news where the bad stuff is what gets people's attention. And that's now been tenfold multiplied into all the different platforms that are out there. And, you know, it's a slippery slope to be staring at your screen all day and seeing just bad, 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 bad. And then you're like, where's the good? And it makes you jaded and, you know, the whole thing. So the point with all that being is that the community aspect that you're bringing up, I think that's something that you know, people need to cherish and and protect uh, wherever they can, regardless of if it's in a wellness retreat or not. In-person community is absolutely vital if people are going to feel each other's humanity, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. And even in the film, I mean, it's like it's supposed to be an unplugging retreat, but like half the characters are incapable of that and they like steal their phones back, you know, or like they're all figuring yeah. out ways to not, you know, to to not go with that, like just for one week to be offline, but it's just like impossible. Right. You know, I also think it's probably difficult for some people just to get themselves there, you know, because I think a lot of it, like I, I guess go back to again, being like how expressive or vulnerable do you have to be in, in a situation like that, especially when you naturally probably have some people that have never gone through something like that before. And it's, you know, you got to kind of pull a little bit to get it out of them, but you don't want to push too hard because then they're going to totally retreat and they're never going to want to go through something like that. You mean like the retreat leader, like, like someone in like a position of, of pulling that out of people that go. Yeah. To retreat. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I mean, cause I, I, I would assume that the person that's doing that, I mean, I would, I would certainly hope that they're in tune with the people that are actually participating there. They're being very observant of how they're responding to things and sort of, you know, fine tuning their approach with the individual on that. Should they even be able to do that? Cause I don't know how much a person like that could work with you one-on-one -on -one, or if they just have to keep it very group mentality setting and kind of go from there. I mean, I think that's really going to depend on the retreat leader. <laughs> that's true. I don't know. Yeah. Katie, do you want to? Well, and I think that, I mean, that presents such a huge conflict in the film with how um, Carrie is responding to the different reactions that she's getting and it causes her quite a bit of pain and she can't kind of hold she's having trouble holding everything together because of the reactions that she's getting and she's being impacted by that so it is mm -hmm. um you know she's she's a, she's a part of this group as well like not just the leader she's in it she's in involved and her emotions are are being swung in all directions I did appreciate that in the movie now that you say that, how, you know, that character, because I, I know I'm not I don't remember all the characters names. So that's why I keep saying that character. <laughs> um, but 
I felt like there was definitely, you know, some pushback against her. Some people being like, is this person really legit? You know, she's not really even from the region. There's uh, maybe cultural appropriation with that. I'm not an expert in that subject. But um, what I did like is that they kind of showed her side of it and that, you know, she's probably just as flawed as as the rest of them, too. Just because she's teaching this stuff doesn't mean that she hasn't figured out herself. And then obviously that kind of roots its ugly head towards the towards the end with her. Yeah, I mean, so few people in life are actually enlightened, you know, so we're all like, even if we're a leader, we have our own issues, right? And yeah, especially like everyone can be pushed to like the brink. And yeah, I think Carrie has issues with, you know, imposter syndrome and people pleasing, perhaps, and, you know, various things that that really get that come up when um, everyone's not drinking the Kool-Aid, you know? Mm hmm. Okay, I want to dip my my toe into this subject, and I just want to be very clear on the subject quick. I am not well-versed or educated on it, okay? So I wish I could bring more to the table on it. I'm just being real, but I feel like there's, there's shades of it in the movie, and I would like to hear what the three of you think about it. Um, there was a couple mentions, I believe, in the movie, or maybe it was implied, about cultural appropriation, okay? Now, again... I am not really an expert on it. I wish I could say I'm more well-read so that I could bring more to the conversation on it. But when I was trying to read a little bit about it, I did come across an interesting article, uh, some old article from New York Times. I don't know when exactly this was, but they were talking about the idea of cultural appropriation versus uh, cultural exchange. And that sometimes there can be a difference between the two. There's uh, not necessarily always a bad impact if another culture's you know, values or their dress and things like that are shared with another culture of a different heritage to be able to adopt and do things. But then, of course, there's also the super grossly inappropriate line where people take it too far um, and and do things that have the negative connotation to that term cultural appropriation. I think I'm saying that right. I'm impressed I even got that out. So <laughs> I I just want to understand from each of your perspectives on this, just your thoughts on that subject within the context of unpacking, because I feel like there's some commentary there. I'll start on this. <laughs> this is definitely like a an intentional topic and a sensitive topic, like you're saying. And this was coming up mm -hmm. um, also during like a really sensitive time in our country that we are working on this. Um, but I guess my like big, my big first statement I want to make is like, we're not trying to make a stance on this one way or another. We're trying to ask the question you just asked and like, what right. is the difference? And we're trying to open that question up to the audience so that people wrestle with it. And if you set out to travel somewhere else, or you set out to go on a retreat like this, like make a little space and think about that. What are mm -hmm. your practices? What is this? What are the lines? Who should you be asking this question to? Like, who is the right person to answer it? I think um, that's how I feel about it. Like, I think it's something worth talking about and worth thinking about. I I think, um, I yeah, I don't have like a, a clean answer on it. I just... <laughs> I don't I, think I don't there is one just from my, fire. my limited research showed that this is certainly not a, you know, it's not a black and white subject. It's, it's, it's multifaceted to say the least confrontational also. 
Um, but totally, I, Alyssa. But I definitely sucks. think it's a. I definitely think it's important because I understand where there could be some pause and and uh, even anger towards some of it in in certain cases. Yeah, I think it's something that you know. I've never been on a wellness retreat, so I can't, you know, but from the research that I've done, I think oftentimes there are people leading wellness retreats that will incorporate rituals or ancient practices that maybe aren't from their own culture, but they're bringing something, you know, spiritual that has like merit and ability to elicit change in people, but maybe they're not the person they're not sitting in the body of, you know, or the culture of who first originated that. And I think that that's, you know, that's the issue that comes up with Carrie and also the pushback. Right. Email. Um, but it's not just like, I mean, Carrie is bringing, you know, she deals with the Bali and masks. So that mm-hmm. is like specific to Bali and she's working with Nika Toot, who is Balinese Um and she's her assistant, so she's not the one leading it, but she kind of is leading it. I mean, she does like the talk in the beginning about the masks, but then it really is Carrie leading the retreat. Um, but then Carrie also like, you know, bring does the cacao work, um, workshop, which is Mayan. So, you know, that's also like a totally different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like it is complicated and I don't necessarily know as someone that's not of any of those cultures, like I really think it's really specific to whoever that person is that, you know, like if you're sitting in a culture and you're offended by someone else, who's not of that culture doing that thing, that's legit. That's a legitimate Mm -hmm. concern, but it's also, um, I don't know, you know, it's, it's complicated because does that mean that like, anyone that's not Mayan can't drink cacao or, you know, it's like a thing that I think like it's, it's important to honor and, um, you know, pay homage and like talk about where these things come from. And maybe, you know, if you do have someone in the space that is of that culture, maybe deferring to them, you know, and I, there are mistakes that are made with Carrie. Um, And I think that Ina's right to care, you know, to like call them out. But maybe her approach is wrong, you know, and I think that's and I, part of what we're talking about as well. I This is a small, I'm going to let you talk, Katie, sorry, but I just want to say this is like something in, in um, Bali, too, where so many of the businesses like that are benefiting economically from these retreats mm-hmm. are from foreigners because it, again, is like, you're maybe taking these other practices and this is not just to Bali, but this is like also in Mexico and, and other places where like maybe the indigenous populations don't have the economic resources to start these businesses or start these things going. And so like they're, they're, they don't even, yeah, it's, it's, it's messy. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I don't want to dig myself into a hole. I have other thoughts there, but I'm also like, no, you're, you're fine about like colonial ideas of approaching the world really really you know it's like the western world approaching you know maybe developing countries or whatever and taking from their resources but not Mm -hmm. necessarily like paying it forward or having equity and i mean it's also like there's that like there's elements of that in the film and there's elements of that like where 
these totally. people are coming into a different culture and having a retreat. And, you know, the only people that are of the culture are the assistants instead of actually, or, you know, a prostitute, you know, and yeah. that's problematic, you know, and, and we're not like saying that that's okay. We're, but we are saying that this happens and we're putting yeah. a light on it. And so I think mm -hmm. like a lot of the film was not like, we're not there to be, um, didactic about what is right and what is wrong, but we did want to have like a lens in a, you know, funny, but also truthful way to show like, this is happening. Like, like those Kuta cowboys are real. Like that's a real thing. It's a cultural phenomena that happens like mm -hmm. go from all over the world, like lots, you know, traditionally from what we know, like a lot of like Koreans and Australians and like whole cultures, like, especially within like, like a lot of in Asia will go to Bali to pick up a boyfriend for the week. And that is like a thing mm. that happens. And, you know, I mean, it's not culture. We're, this is like beyond cultural appropriation now. Right. Right. Talking about like, you know, <clears throat> different cultures, like not, you know, like take taking versus like community, I think, you know, <laughs> Katie, I'm, I'm waiting on you. Oh no! <laughs> I think they covered a lot. Um, there's a lot of thoughts going on. Yeah. But no, I think just going back to the points of it is just like to open dialogue and have conversations and just show these flawed people that are kind of doing the mm -hmm. best they can and they're making mistakes and <clears throat> they're hopefully learning from their mistakes. And so, yeah. you know, we've made we've made a lot of progress over the years to hopefully reduce cultural appropriation but things are still happening and it's it is just important to try to try to call them out and 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 point them out so i think we're just trying to 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 shed a light as i think one of one of you two said <laughs> the so, conversation never ends it's like it yes. no no i i don't think the con and the conversation shouldn't end on it because again it's it's not clean you know the, the, this is a, a difficult thing to judge where the lines at or if there is one in some cases and i think it is it's also because like we're not no one is one thing like this is an intersectional you know like sure. like we're not just like i don't know like if you look at our dna like you know we come from all kinds of different cultures and like we sit in one culture but i mean it just is a i think it's a very complicated issue that each like yeah. has to be treated with nuance and respect every step of the way, like anything, you know, like every yeah. situation you can't tell someone what to do until they're, and that's why it's like judgment. Like a film is also about judgment, you know, like yeah. no one really has the right to judge because they're not sitting in the shoes of whoever is going through that experience and, you know, has the background that they have and the culture they have and all the things that you don't even know about them, you know, or the moments, yeah. you know, are happening between two people. I just think it is, it's a very complicated thing that can't be like, just summed up in like this is right and this is wrong no no i i, I think something that the the movie was making me think about and and i want to say one of the characters had this happen with it it was possibly the carrie character that's the wellness instructor yeah. right because wasn't it like correct me if i'm wrong you should i mean of course you'll know you've directed this <laughs> um there there is a moment in the movie i believe where like there is sort of like a like a call out i know it happens kind of a couple times but there's one in particular where the character the one that's like kind of a skeptic i think she does it a little takes a little bit more of a soft approach to the call out instead of being so kind of 
like aggressive with it to like sort of demean the other person and make them feel like they're worthless and like doing that. I felt like it was a little more like, hey, like, let's try to maybe have a dialogue about this instead of just like, I'm calling you out and now you're going to feel like garbage and there's no real like resolution with any of this. Am I... Am yeah. I off? Yeah, there's so, a text message at the end. A text message, okay. a constructive it's, conversation. Okay, yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of, because I knew it was in there somewhere. It is between the two of those characters, it. though. It is between the yes. two of those characters, and it does bring her back. Yeah. And it's also Jackie's character. Jackie and Ina have a conversation. Like, Jackie kind of takes Ina to task about her approach. Not that, mm. like, what she's saying isn't right, but just, like, maybe the method in which she's doing it right. isn't getting through to her and so she suggests she has a conversation with her instead of just like shaming her yes and i'm very glad that the movie touched on that in this regard because i think at least to me there's wider reaching implications that are to be had with that in the whole outrage culture cancel culture all the, all the stuff that you want to kind of throw that out into um, we're very much talking about that like it's it's a big part of like it's a big theme for us in the film yeah glad that you see it because there's a yes. lot <laughs> to it but it's like and we don't want to be hitting anyone over the head about it you know these are subtle yeah. things that are not there's not one theme but these are all like how can we um elicit change and like have calling in versus calling yeah. out calling out is not working so can we call no. people in to have a co private conversation to make them feel like you know like i see you i see what you're trying to do mm -hmm. but maybe like this is this is hurting my feelings or like right. i'm pain or i don't understand why you're doing this can you please explain it versus like mm -hmm. you're stuck you're wrong you know yeah. i will never talk to you ever again <laughs> you know? it's it's my experience actually that sometimes certainly not all the time because there's absolutely intentional behaviors that are done to elicit a negative response in certain cases but sure. I find there's a lot of people that do stuff and they don't even realize they're doing it. Okay. You know, and like it, it's a completely unintentional thing. And it could just be because like they're doing 20 things. They do something. It's just in their subconscious from years ago and it reveals itself. And then it's just like, oh, wait, what did I do? And then, you know, th there's obviously like this fear of like, oh, God, now because of the culture that we're in. I'm going to get completely torn apart. There will no be my side of it. There is no understanding. I'm immediately garbage because. I did this thing that is now viewed on a, you know, typically a public platform to be judged by a lot of people. Of course. I mean, I think that that's so, of course that's going to be happening because we, yeah. we had a world that has been run. Like, you know, we, we, li we are breaking out of like essentially the patriarchy. Right. And the patriarchy is not just white men. It's like a way of thinking. It's a way, it's like a way of doing something where there was a certain amount of people, like a certain type of person that was kind of in charge in general and everyone else kind of was under that. And like that model is no longer working and we're all realizing that we have to figure out how to have equity. But the conversation from before was based on this way of doing things. And so of course that's going to be messy. Like, of course there's toxic yeah. messy. Of course, there's like men and women not understanding each other or different sexes, not, you know, or different genders or like even the idea of gender, like, you know, the gender is a construct, like so many things that are just like kind of coming into the conversation that were not talked about before because there was this one way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, I think it's like a very sort of pre like immature way of handling it. Like it's, it's, it's like the baby, like, I feel like our society is in this sort of like, you know, that cancel culture way of doing it is like a five-year-old sort of approach. It's like, but we have to get past that. We have to like graduate to adults to being like adulting in how we talk about hard things yeah. in the society and how we forgive and how we like move on from doing like doing the wrong thing, you know, like, because it doesn't solve it. Like the punitive way of like be just punishment is not mm -hmm. a way to, you know, create good humans. Yeah. Right. Do we let people move on from doing the wrong thing? Even? Yeah. And do we like open? Yeah. We're in, we're so polarized. And when you, when you treat yeah. people like they're dumb or they're innately wrong, it, it makes you so defensive. No one wants to feel like they're stupid. And you're never going to find a common ground, but there almost yeah. always <clears throat> is common ground to be found. And it's yeah. so much in the approach of how you speak to each other. Well, that goes back to what you said earlier about the communal aspect and doing things in person. Because, again, I'm going to have my old man yelling at the clouds moment here with the with the damn social media. But no, <laughs> I, I'm going to say it because I, I, I'm passionate about this is that. The more time you spend on those platforms, I mean, unless you are like immaculate with your vocabulary and you know how to type beautifully that you can articulate it down to the period and I can understand everything you meant, I'm yeah. probably going to miss something. <laughs> I'm probably going to miss something unless I figure out how to actually talk to you and have a dialogue about it. Because it's interesting. I was speaking with someone about this last night and she was saying like, I don't, you know, humans were not meant to have like probably more than like a hundred people in their like sphere. And with social media, we have thousands of people like, you know, someone I went to high school with that I haven't seen in, in forever is in like my headspace. And I don't even <laughs> know that person. And so it's so easy to like kind of separate yourself from that person and then like make a judgment. And then like all of a sudden you're like, you know, on their wall and you're just like blasting them, you know? And it's like, this is how these things happen because we're yeah. desensitized from having like real one-on-one -on -one conversations where like, you know, if, if you see, like, if, if you like said that to someone in person, you'd probably make them cry. And then they'd yeah. be like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. And then you'd have a real conversation, but like, we just are mm -hmm. yelling at each other in from our separate computers and we're able to be desensitized from human interaction and it's, it's dangerous i mean it's a tool but it's also like a weapon yeah you know? I, it's a weapon so much of the time now yeah, yeah i would definitely say it can be weaponized and used for manipulation um you know and, and con control like, fe fear a fear tactic too otherization dehumanization 20 election like you know i mean like literally yeah. it was used it was as a weapon it was a weapon <laughs> I know if I would say something on on this point of just, you know, the the real importance and need for being able to talk these things out with people, um, especially opposing viewpoints and whatnot, um, I'm sure maybe somewhere there's some person that's going to take a, a stab at, at making a course around this. But I really think more people need to be taught and have a, a constructive dialogue about how to agree to disagree uh, as well as how to just hear out somebody's dissenting opinion and not try to change it, but just to listen to it so that each other's being heard. I mean, it's like, it's like you said, McCall, going back to the five-year-old thing. It's like, you know, let's cool the emotions for a second. I get it. 
they just said something that like you know is putting this trigger up there but it's like let's dial it back and let's like actually to have that person challenge their ideas and actually express it out there and see how well they also can articulate it too yeah how about high school every high school debate should now be required course for everyone yeah. to get school i mean honestly yeah i mean you're, you're right and yet like are the humanities are being stripped from education yeah. and like yeah. it's just like it's you know analytical thought and like it's it's yeah it's it's terrifying <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, so so something I did want to ask, because I know you all mentioned at the start of this, I don't know if we were recording just yet, but you've talked on other podcasts, I know, about the film. I know that you've been at other festivals, um, screening it and doing some Q&As and things like that. I was curious what some of the most, you know, common responses to your film has been. Has it taken, you know, has it taken a turn in the conversation to like, oh, wow, like they brought this thing up that I had no intention of bringing up at all. And now we're talking about this because of the movie. I mean, I think the nice thing about the movie is like, it is so ensemble. So there's a lot of different stories being explored. And I think probably our most common theme, like feedback is that like, no, no one resonates with the same thing. Like different people are drawn to different characters yeah. and different storylines. So there's, there's many ways audiences can and have connected and it's actually been pretty nice for us to hear like i connected to alice i connected to jackie i really connected to the sister dynamic i really connected to um imposter syndrome i you know i think um that has made us so happy that there hasn't been like a universal that maybe the universal thing is uh, thank you for making something where the women feel real. <laughs> and um, it's, yeah, it's not such a like gorgeous glamorized version of this experience. Do you and, think that that's a, that's a, uh, an issue sometimes like in depiction of women in either movies that are dealing with a similar subject matter or just, are you kind of talking like across the board with like women depictions in movies? I mean, I think with, like outside of, you know, the more Hollywood you get with films, I mean, it's just like mm -hmm. a great um, comment that I received from a friend is um, she's in her, she's, she's a Zoomer. She's like in her mid twenties. And she was like, I've never seen women on screen that weren't sexualized. She's like, they're not like, they're all like there, yeah. they're, you know, they're pretty, they're beautiful, but they look real. And they're not like the point they're not like perfect. And you're just, you're so, it's so normalized in Hollywood to see like these, you know, everyone is this perfect looking person or if there's not, they're like the best friend or like, yeah. you know, they're like, or they're, you know, <clears throat> or that's the joke about the person if whatever the thing is, you know, and I mean, it's happening less and less, but it's, um, it's definitely like, problematic like you know the way women are depicted is is very problematic and i mean it's it's uh even in terms of like um extras i mean like the gina davis institute um you know like you know it has this whole like gender study of film and you know if even extras and movies the default is a man so like unless someone writes it into the script that it will be a woman like they'll they'll more often fill it with male with people in the background that are men. It's just like the default. Mm -hmm. And or the Bechtel, like we another really great comment we've gotten is that the film pat like 
when someone say it, a festival a couple weeks ago, they said, this is the most Bechtel approved film I've ever seen. Because what, is, what does that mean? So the Bechtel test is a test that you can apply to films. It's very simple. You have to have two women in at least one scene in a movie talking about something other than a man. And like, <laughs> that's literally it. <laughs> 70% of movies fail that test. It's oh, like God. the statistics are better now because we're, you know, like in the last 10 Barely. years, we have like we have the you know, we have protagonists, we have like Jennifer Lawrence, and we have people that are leading movies, they're opening movies that are women. But even like if you sure. talk about three, 10 years ago, you're not even like having female protagonists, you know? So like, mm. how is there even ever hope that like, but to have a, a protagonist where it's not like she's focused on a man or there's a love interest, like it is a woman, a movie filled with women and they're not, you know, yeah, there's a man that is, you know, is causing some drama in the movie and it's not <clears> just, you know, and, and there's other men that are mentioned, but there's lots of intimate conversations that are had that have nothing to do with a man. And it's like to have one scene in a movie, there's like, usually 50 scenes in a movie, you know, like that's absurd. And it's like, yeah. angry, but it's our norm. You didn't even know about it or think yeah. about it. And it's no fault of yours because it's the way we <laughs> in society, but that is a problem. <clears throat> it's like representation matters, you know? And so that was like a huge compliment for me just to like, you know, just to hear that or to hear what my friend Vita said, like it just, it, these things need to be seen, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, now, <clears throat> excuse me. So, say one more time. What what is that test called again? The Bechtel test. Well, because now the, the now my now my no. movie collection is going to go through the Bechtel test because I bet <laughs> I probably own a fair amount of those movies that are doing exactly what you just said. Yeah, I mean, any war movie. <laughs> that's most of the movies that have been made up until like the oh, last, man. you know, I mean, even the last ten years. But like, it's getting better and better. But it's still like not the norm. And, I know, guess how, how do you? I mean, how do you? You know, how do you? How do you sort of change the narrative on that? Other than just you know talking about it like what we're doing right now. What uh, you, you finance female like directed films and because you know it's like it's, yeah. it's stories people tell like who you know people tell stories they're familiar with like it's not of course like you know and the gatekeepers are still largely yeah. men. And they're yeah. wanting to like, yeah. bring up other men in the industry that remind them of themselves. And I don't know, you know, there's money, but it really is giving more women the opportunity and more, I mean, more people of color, just more diversity yeah. in the storytelling field. Storytelling. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of men who've loved our film and been kind of shocked because they're like, <laughs> oh, I just thought this would be some sort of chick flick, but I really loved it. And I really identified with characters. <laughs> However, as women we've been expected to identify with the male protagonists of all these other films and i've had no problem doing that with hundreds of other thousands of other films and tv that i've seen over the course mm -hmm. of my life so it shouldn't be surprising but yet they've never seen it before they're they're having to go to a film festival and see small independent micro budget films in order to sure. get this story <clears throat> to them i mean yeah. that's Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, McCall. Oh, I mean, like the the term chick flick is like a common thing, but there's no such thing as a dick pick, you know? Like, <laughs> well, there like, is, but oh, yeah, there is. But yeah, <laughs> I think you get flick. <laughs> Sorry, oh I like totally forgot about the double entendre of that. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> no, but you know, 
there's there's a lot of interesting things. I mean, one dick pic is just hilarious. So I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but then you know when you brought up the fact that someone had to go to you know either like a small under the radar film festival to try to see something like that. Not to say that there's not other film festivals that are likely trying to do their own part to um, show diverse projects and you know help up and coming filmmakers and whatnot, but. There is something to be said about that, that film festivals are a unique platform for that. And I think more people should maybe try to consider attending them, even if they're not like going to try to be filmmakers themselves, but just the average audience member. I talked about it before in past episodes of my podcast that, sorry, my camera's like falling. <laughs> um, film festivals are not just for like the movie, you know, the movie cinephile obsesses and, you know, film geeks and art, you know, art majors and things like that. I mean, I really think it's a, it's a community. It's a communal event that is welcoming of all different types of people and that they can really go and maybe not always comfortably. So, cause some movies can really challenge you and push you out of your comfort zone, but I don't know. I, I really like that film fest, especially like the one where like unpacking was at, and I'm sure the ones that you've had it screened at would be the same thing. Like you're seeing stuff that is not ordinarily going to be seen in mass at like a big cineplex and there's conversation and almost, you know, just there, there's moods and experiences that you'll go through. If you sit through one of those, you're like, gosh, like I didn't even think about that before. And then before you know, like a month from now, you're going to be sitting there just being like, oh, yeah, I remember that one thing in that one movie. And like now it's like subtly influencing what I'm doing with this other aspect of my life. Yeah. Movies have the power to change and shift consciousness. And so it's so important to see things that like make us see the world differently. You know, like you get, it's 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 like a great way to get really intimate with someone that you don't have to interact with, but you can have this like cathartic experience you know mm -hmm. by someone else on and different people on screen doing things that you never thought about and yeah like the less like i mean you know the bigger the budget like the safer it often is played unless you're talking about like a real auteur who's like you know and there's only so many of those that can like you know make there's only so many Scorsese's or people that have the power to like make a film that no one's going to question that you know is going to get greenlit it's a giant budget without like any you know producers like getting their fingers and how that story gets told or sort of like vanilla down you know I'd say there are so many more women capable of making those movies like Greta Gerwig just showed us this summer like she started yeah. in the indie scene in such small movies Mm -hmm. And just the opportunity to work with that sort of budget is like almost inaccessible to almost all women. Yeah. Like if a handful of those films get made every year, it's like maybe one woman is getting a shot every year or every yeah. few years. So it's really like it is so possible for a, just like a much more diverse group to be telling those bigger budget box office things and becoming the next auteurs like we, you know. Yeah that we're aging out those ones that we all know in reference or like <laughs> in their seventies and their eighties. And they're like, yeah. there's room and space for new voices to be coming to a wider audience. Um, I mean, hopefully that are, yeah, that aren't all just like Marvel stories and yeah. uh, things that further capitalism. So like a problematic aspect of Barbie 
is like, how well, do you get those opportunities? And that that's something I was going to say. And I, I find it's a, it's a challenge myself when I talk to people about it is how do you make you know, a project, not, not necessarily like exactly like yours, but like you said, if, if it's a project that is removed of like special effects and sex and drugs and like all these, you know, big commercial elements to it, it's like, how, how do you make that, you know, make a profit basically to, to a large audience outside of people that are looking for an experience and doing that, which unfortunately, even in the entertainment world, it's fairly niche. If you look at it in the grand scheme of things. Well, I mean, it starts with the audience. It's like more people have to want that. If they demand yes. it and ask for it and seek it out, then, you know, that if it's, if it sells tickets, then there's room for that. But it's, it really is like, you know, a culture that has to yeah. get out. I'll say this, and I, I definitely have been on record on the podcast before, but I'll say it here because I think it's applicable. Um, I'm going to kind of complain for a second, but it's, it's a, it's a well thought out complaint. <laughs> I get so tired when I hear generalist comments from people that claim to be, you know, movie fans and everything like that, where they're just like, oh, there's there's nothing original anymore. Oh, it's just Hollywood remakes and oh, the dumb comic book movies and blah, 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 blah. And I hear this time and time again. And then I see projects like yours and I see all these other original works, as you said, of up and coming people that are doing things that have not been traditionally done before. And I'm like, it's all out there. It's all out there. So that person that is saying all those complaints, it's like use maybe a little more of that energy that you're using to say how much disdain you have for the mass Hollywood machine and maybe channel some of that energy, time, education towards others and some of that money, importantly, to those people because the stuff does not get made by itself and it needs money to fund it. So that's all I got to say. I mean, you're right, but it also is like, you know, our like we don't have distribution yet. So like you saw our film because you were like you, you know, were close, you know, in the vicinity of a festival that we happened. Sure. To get. But like, that's true. Not everyone also has the privilege or the access to go to festivals. I mean, yes, you can seek these things right. out, not like super costly, prohibitive. But like, I just don't think mm -hmm. that everyone knows about it or has the time or you know and True. then if you're, if, if you're if you're only just talking about streaming you know then you like our movie is not yet on a streaming platform you know like that's the goal and i you know mm -hmm. here from now we'll be, i i i do believe we will find our you know find mm -hmm. our platform and, and land in a great place but um it, but then there's all the marketing that goes behind it. And like, will people even see it or know about it? Because it will get lost in the shuffle of all those other movies. That yeah. It's just, it, it's like a whole, yeah, it's a whole challenge, independent filmmaking on every level. Cause it's, you know, it's the making of the movie and then the distribution is a whole other thing. And yeah. you have these giant studios that like, of course, Marvel, you know, they put so much advertising budget is like honestly that's what i'm thinking is marketing is like you know Barbie's yeah. advertising budget was equal to its shooting budget it was like yeah. tens hundreds of millions of dollars i don't know yeah. like and yeah. that is that is how you get in front of people is advertising dollars and like, sadly even with the i mean even with the festival market you know like so many festivals do like 
I mean, there's just, we've done very well in the festival circuit, given like how, like the, you know, little movie that could, you know, that, that we are like, but we don't have any names behind our movie. Like we didn't have, we did not hire a publicist. We couldn't afford that. You know, like there's so many things that like, it is money talks, you know, yeah. like at the end of the day, like it is like, it is, it's, it's an uphill battle on every level. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I will say, you know, I'll have a I'll have a more polite sentiment to say about social media. I've been a bit harsh on it in this episode. I love your I wanna wave my fist at it all the time. <laughs> Well, really, in order to tell people about our movie. Well, but that and but that's what I'm saying because to McCall's point, when she talks about not everybody having the means, which which I get, I mean, like not everybody's top priority when it comes to what they do first with their money is go see movies. It's pay the bills, make yeah. sure my kids are fed, you know. Uh, but that's where there is this weird positive effect of social media that largely doesn't cost somebody to post something you know, to share it and hit the follow button and all that stuff. You build enough of a community and a voice around that stuff. Eventually it does have impact. Absolutely. And, and so that's usually what I try to tell people. Like if they can't, if they can't afford it with their wallets, which I get, um, you know, your voice and you being willing to put it out there, it may not, you may not feel the immediate effects of it unless you're like a, you know, an influencer or someone like that, but there are communities out there and they're hungry for authenticity and people to speak up about things. I mean, that the internet has, I mean, that's how things go viral is because enough people do it and enough people catch wind of it. And then before you know it, it's picked up on some mainstream media platform and now it's all over the place. Um, something else, and then we will almost call this good because I know we've been talking uh, a decent amount of time. I'm, I, I hope I've not overtaken the time. No, I just, a good conversation. I really have loved it. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I came in with my guns loaded as they say, and, and I shouldn't say that cause I'm not a gun person actually at all. So I got to come up with a different, <laughs> different expression. Um, but I am, I am curious, uh, aside from, you know, where people can eventually watch it, because I think you answered that with film festivals primarily. Are there any other festivals that this is going to screen at until you can figure out a distribution for it? Or When are you probably going to, um, when, when will this uh, be posted? I'm thinking probably like two weeks or less would be my, my ideal time frame. Okay, so probably not that we know of right now we we are screening at a festival in two days but i think you probably won't be up in two days we're screening in india oh um, wow yeah i can't i can't make it to india i'm actually going to i have um, the, i have the packet here the refocus film festival so yeah. we we don't know yet like maybe we'll get into some more festivals we're kind of like it's we've been on the festival circuit for a year and uh so we're kind of rounding that out if there are a few you know more that we might be a part of but we're not entirely sure yet at this mm -hmm. point um but people can join our newsletter uh they can go to unpackingmovie.com and follow us and they can go to unpacking movie on instagram and follow us and like if they go to the link tree there there'll be updates so they can kind of follow our journey and, you know, we're always posting if there is a festival that we're going to, um, and we'll definitely be posting when we get distribution and people can see it 
with a larger audience. And we're releasing a new trailer soon so they can see oh, that. Nice. And um, yeah, and get excited about the movie. So. So last question, very last question. And I, I try to always save a fun one or two towards the end. Um, sequel? Ever? <laughs> is, that, is that possible? I'm running I'm, I'm <laughs> <gunning> for this. <laughs> you know, you're not the, a lot of people ask about it, which is really yeah. hard. I have no idea, but like people do ask about it a lot, which, um, so who knows? You know, certainly if like someone gave us the money to make a sequel, I, I don't think we'd be opposed to it. Well, and um, I always, I actually wonder too, because I mean, you know, smaller projects like yours, I can't imagine ones like it will often actually see sequels because, you know, it was already a challenge enough to, you know, get all the funding and the people together and whatnot. So yeah. I, I would be curious how often that actually happens. Well, I mean, I guess like the best example of something like ours would be like uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Oh, you yeah. Know, that yeah. was an independent film that was like really like was one of those like little movie that could that like really made big and good. And then there was like three movies. That, there's like there's like three of them. Right. So I feel like there needs to be like a production company called that little movies that could like <laughs> I, I, I could see that. I always refer to it. I think of like <laughs> I just think of our movie. I, I like often will write that in like a social media post because I think it's true. It's like this. Li I'm very proud of it, but it has been. Yeah, it's like it really is. It's 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 going up the hill. It thinks it can, <laughs> and it does. You know. <laughs> last last question. I swear to God, I have a bad tendency of this, but I actually mean it this time. I swear. <laughs> So I want an answer from each one of you. Don't think about it too much. But if you could exist or inhabit, live in a fictional movie universe, what would it be? Oh, God. <laughs> so, you know, it could be like Harry Potter, it could be Jurassic Park, running away from dinosaurs. I don't think you'd want to do that, but maybe... I'm actually wearing a Gryffindor t-shirt right now, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, right on. Gryffindor. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you would choose, Harry Potter? Um, cool. No, it's a little too, I mean, it's, there's a, like wars going on during yeah, that. I know. So that's, that's, everything that's I'm thinking of, I'm like way too dark. I want a happy <laughs> life. <laughs> It'd probably have to be like some sort of children's movie because like so mm. many movies are like so heavy, you know, like what universe would I like? There's so much conflict in like so many of them. So what would be the. That's the everything I'm thinking of. Same, same page. I'm just like too dark, too dark, too dark. Would never do my big fat Greek wedding universe. And. Oh yeah. I'll bring it to that. You're right. It would have to be some sort of like romantic comedy or mm. like uh, it'd have to be. Oh. Yeah, like, like, a, like a Nancy. That we talked about at the beginning. <laughs> they went to Bali. If you say like romantic comedies that are like light and fluffy, where it's likely a safe world, I mean, like Nancy Myers movies kind of come to mind for me because yeah, all her characters are yeah, extremely totally. well off and and just having they're having marital problems and stuff. But you know, like but it always wrestler life seems okay. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Nancy Myers. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're. You're onto something. Mm. Um, oh, it's that's really hard. I know I'm like somewhere I'm like somewhere where it's different enough for my life. Yeah. Uh, I keep I wanting to say under the Tuscan sun, but I can't remember any plot points of that movie other than that, to Italy. Other than it's under the Tuscan sun, which sounds like that a, <laughs> that a Diane Lane movie. 
yeah, a lot yeah. of long yeah. dinners yeah. with yeah. artistic friends. I'm like, that sounds really nice. <laughs> Shout <laughs> out to Under the Tuscan Sun. Really be like, would yeah. I want to live in that world? Really, I, yeah. I just would like uh, swimming in the ocean, long, mm. long dinners with creative friends. <laughs> that would be cool. That would be cool. Obviously, intellectually stimulating for sure. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I hearken to science fiction stuff just purely because I like all the gadgets and I want the flying cars. I want to teleport. I want to talk to aliens. I want the whole thing. Um, but all, all, usually in a lot of those worlds, there's also a lot of war and like so not good so things happening. Terrifying. Yeah, like, <laughs> that would be. Or if it's like Blade Runner, it's very sad. Very sad and rainy. <laughs> it's such a hard question. I don't even know. It's tricky. Yeah. I know. I'm trying to think of that too. Because I can also really love sci-fi. But I'm like, where? what is something that is not like. Uh, doesn't seem like actually a world I'd really never want to live in. Mm, I don't know. Food for thought. Post episode, you'll just think about it like a couple days later, and then you'll send me a message and be like, "I thought of it." Post it in show notes. Or were we supposed to say the unpacking world so we can go back for part two? Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> Very subtle plug right there. <laughs> All right. Well, I I don't have anything else for each of you, but I mean, I I really enjoyed talking about this. I fully expected to have an interesting conversation around some of these themes. It went certain places I wasn't expecting it to, but that's the joy of long form conversation is that I don't always know where it's going to go, even when I prep stuff. Um, but to anybody that is listening, I would absolutely say when this movie, I'm going to say when it's not if it's when it gets the distribution, uh, people should see it because I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with, with everybody in my listening audience right now, this, if I hadn't seen this at a film festival, am I going to pretend that this is a movie I would have probably tried to like really go out of my way of to, to track down and watch? No, to, to be honest, no, because I am probably not the ideal demographic for this movie. But that being said, I'm going to join the dude club that they mentioned of the guys that like the movie. And they walked away going like, oh, I actually had some really interesting points and ideas on things that are going on in the world. And now we're having a really interesting conversation about it. So there, people like myself can like it too. Um, and 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 last thing, say I, I told you I'm horrible at this. Uh, you you dropped all the plugs and whatnot, but what is the next thing that you're all going to be working on? Or can you say that? I don't even know if you can. Um, McCall and I have another project together where writing with her husband. We're not sharing much, but it's like also right. ensemble in nature. Um, and then I have some of my own. I have like a feature of my own and some TV pilots. We're out there trying to get our work out, seeing which one will go first, what will get made, trying to take all the lessons we learned from this one and yes. apply them to the start of the next one instead of the middle or the end <laughs> and see if that makes it any easier. Yeah. Yeah, same. I've got a couple of TV show and a couple of films as well that I'm working on. Um, and then, yeah, the one I'm working on with Alexandra. And I don't know, you never just, you just never know how it's going to. Yep. Yeah, like, just don't know how it's going to roll out. Katie, what about you? I'm waiting on my lovely writer-director friends to cast me <laughs> in their upcoming projects. <laughs> <laughs> and auditioning a lot. 
Well, seriously, I, I hope each of you continue what you're doing. Don't lose steam. Uh, it's always something I'm passionate about on the podcast as well as understanding that sometimes the creative road is a lonely one and it can be daunting and not everyone's always going to believe in the efforts that you're trying to put forth. But take it from the guy in Iowa that likes your movie and is enjoying to you know, promote it on his podcast. But I enjoy what you're doing. I think you should continue to do it and continue to challenge people's mindsets and hopefully have them have interesting and lively conversations that help expand their heads. There. Thank I think that's it. Yeah. Great, great conversation. Thank you so much. <laughs>